Good morning, business people. It's Monday, the 9th of February, and it's the start of the week. A fresh new opportunity for you to make some money. This is Money for Nothing with Richard Harris. And your business headlines for the day. The US economy continues to spill out good economic news, but the markets are less impressed. Maybe higher interest rates will come earlier rather than later. China reported a record trade surplus for last month. But it's not altogether good news, as exports fell 3% and imports fell 20%. Greeks Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras is defiant by insisting his government would ease austerity measures on the Greeks, although he has moderated his demands for debt forgiveness from the EU. In other news, 88-year-old Alan Greenspan, the former Federal Reserve chairman and the man who put the low into interest rates, says that Greece leaving the euro is just a matter of time. Head of the IMF, Christine Lagarde, urges G20 finance politicians ahead of a meeting this week, to boost growth by implementing the economic reform they promised in the last G20 meeting. And the US and the Europeans agrees to work full throttle to secure the world's biggest free trade deal known as the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Pact. Well, today we've got a strong set of correspondents to set out the week for you. Firstly, our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, gives us his helicopter view on the US and Europe and his worm's eye view on how the economy looks from street level. Mark Conan of Cathay Conning Asset Management will tell us how he sees it from the investment manager's trading desk. And for those who are feeling a little stiff and sore this morning, Mikko Pitaka has flown all the way from Finland to tell us about Yugaya, the online yoga studio. And our regular guest hosts on Monday morning to give us a down and dirty on Hong Kong and China and to ask the really hard questions is Alex Ho of Ample Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Well, Alex, you'll be in the office in about half an hour. What's the first thing on your mind about the markets this week? I think this week uh, we would not have a, a very good week in Hong Kong. Uh, China actually um, turned down after the uh, cut in our, our last week. And uh, the strong U.S. dollar, I think, uh, had already dampened the retail sales in Hong Kong. And also now um, the strong RMB actually dampened the export in China. So probably sentiment in Hong Kong would be weak. And this week, uh, I think people will be watching the release of the new loans uh, in China. So that is critical, I think. Interesting. So it looks as if divergence between the U.S. and other markets is likely to continue. Oh, uh, U.S. remain firm, uh, but uh, if you look at the uh, performance in the equities last Friday, actually, that was also disappointing. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. The U.S. economy continues to spill out good economic news, and Friday was no exception, with the U.S. creating 250,000 new jobs, about 10% more than expected. Markets have been bouncing back after the weakness of recent weeks, with the street actually showing the biggest weekly rise in two years, rising nearly 4% last week as confidence returned. It's now back to where it was on January the 1st. On the day, however, as Alex was saying, the market was not impressed, with the S&P index down 30 basis points to 2056. Phil Orlando at Federated Investment in New York explains. Well, the, the market actually responded exactly the way it should have, which was to sell off on this, because this is sort of a good news, bad news scenario, that, that while the labor market is gaining ground, that also means that the Federal Reserve is more likely going to be closer to commencing the hike in interest rates. And based upon the Fed schedule and based upon the timing and the strength of this jobs report, our best guess is that the Fed begins to hike rates perhaps at the June 16th and 17th FOMC meeting this year. So analysts are moving up their target for the first rise in interest rates, a lot closer than people were expecting last week. Mohamed al Arian, chief economist of Valiance, also liked the numbers. It's a very strong job report. 
lots of jobs being created, a higher participation rate, and less sluggish wage growth, all of which speaks to a more inclusive recovery. Some of us, including me, have believed that it's just a matter of time before wages respond to what has been strong job creation, and we now know that 3.1 million jobs were created last year. Others were questioning whether this will happen due to structural issues. So it's a good month, but we need to see it sustained. Well, his erstwhile boss, Bill Gross of PIMCO, was a little more cautious. So uh, we can create jobs, but can we create uh, profitable jobs and productive jobs uh, that pay money to to elevate uh, labor into the, back into the old middle class? I, I don't think we've done that, and that's what we need to do. Well, Phil Orlando Federated was more positive about wage inflation, and this is something the Fed's been looking out for in order to raise interest rates. People talk about jobs numbers, but they're also looking at earnings. What did we learn? The wage inflation number uh, today was was quite good, up five-tenths of one percent on a month-over-month basis. That was the best number that we've seen uh, since November of 08. That's been the one item that's been lacking in this economic recovery coming out of the Great Recession. The jobs have come back. The rate of unemployment has fallen. But wage inflation has been stuck at sort of this 2% year-over-year run rate. So the fact that we had this nice pop today uh, in January, and we had a nice increase in November as well, up four-tenths of 1%, maybe we're starting to get some traction on on wages, and that's what investors and economists have been hoping for. Meanwhile, uh, continental Europe is up 8% on the year, showing the divergence that we're having with other markets. Shanghai Composite is down 5%, and it closed at 3,076. Good economic news gave the dollar a lift, pushing the euro down to trade at $1.13 and the yen at 119. Sterling was at 152 or 11.80 to the Hong Kong dollar. Brent crude is at $57.80, having had its biggest two-week rally since March 1998. China reported a record trade surplus this weekend for the month of December. Imports fell 20% on lower commodities cost. Crude oil import values were down 42%, iron ore down 50%, and coal down 62% from a year earlier. Uh, it's not altogether good news as exports also fell. Now, Alex, this, uh, these trade figures, I don't know if you saw them over the weekend. What's your feeling? It's obviously going to impact inflation in China. Oh, no. I think that it, it implies that the economy actually uh, is weak in China right now uh, because uh, import actually fell because of commodity prices, but also implies a weak demand from China as well. And the uh, export fell, uh, therefore export is actually more concerning, I think. Because if you look at the RMB exchange rate, actually it, it rose quite significantly in the last year. Uh, if you look at it uh, using the trade-weighted index uh, angle. So I think uh, that means that China actually remains in a very weak situation. Now that's the economy domestically you're saying is weak because exports you would have thought would be relating to uh, demand from imports elsewhere. Yeah, right. I, no, no, no. I, uh, you can say that uh, export re, uh, related to demand but also related to competitiveness of uh, China because I think uh, uh, if you look at the US, look at the Europe, I think things are improving a little bit actually. So um, the fall in export actually means uh, China is uh, losing some status as it is as an export uh, manufacturing center. So I think uh, uh, this is not a good uh, set of data actually. Hmm, bearish. Well, let's uh, hold that thought and uh, move to Barry Wood, who's our international economics correspondent, based in w- Washington. Good morning, Barry. 
Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Alex. Uh, Barry, things have been pretty good in the States, although we seem to be rather more depressed out here. What's it actually looking from your <laughs> point of view? Oh, I think it looks very good. I agree with those sound bites you've had. I mean, we had a Dow Jones that was up uh, nearly 3.9% for the week, and the S&P was up 3%. So, Alex, don't worry when you get to the office too much about those Friday figures. That was probably just a uh, necessary correction. I think the U.S. economy looks good. Whether it's 2.5% economic growth at an annual rate or whether it's closer to 3 that's good enough. I think we're doing fine. But it looks as if uh, interest rates are more closely on the horizon, certainly from what everybody was thinking on, on Friday night. Um, just looking at people in the U.S., if interest rates do go up, is it really going to impact them in their pockets? I think it could. But, Richard, uh, if I could just register a slight demur, I don't think it's a given that we're going to see a rate rise in June or even in the course of 2015. Let's not forget the strong dollar acts as a kind of tax, and uh, that is a problem for U.S. exporters. And I'm not sure that we're going to see a rate rise as soon as that sort of conventional sentiment at the moment would suggest. But you're right. If interest rates rise, I do believe it would have a very dilatory effect on economic growth because most people are used to these almost zero interest rates and very low rates on car loans. Mortgages are at almost record lows, so it's bound to have an impact. Now, on the, at the same time, you know, if you're going to get a signal of higher interest rates on mortgages, that could cause a rush into the housing market, which could really generate a lot of uh, growth that way. That's right. Economics is so confusing, isn't it? Because you also have the impact of the, uh, the lower gas price at the pump, which must be affecting people in their pockets almost immediately. There's no doubt about it. I think the figure is something like $700 a year for the average American family in savings. That's significant. So I think that uh, gas prices, as long as they stay low, that's a real tax cut, which is useful. And uh, we had uh, Prime Minister Alex Tsipras of Greece uh, moving across the water, saying that uh, Greece cannot service its huge debt and looking for a, a bridge loan, although this seems to be rather... Uh, an easing of his uh, previous stance of asking for debt forgiveness. Um, is that likely to impact on the U.S. market at all? You know, we've had a lot of discussion about Europe in the last two weeks. Yeah, we have. And it's not just Greece. It's also Ukraine. But let's face it. I don't think the signals on Greece are good. They're quite bad for the Eurogroup. And you've got a Eurogroup meeting this coming week, just in the next couple of days. I think that uh, the Greeks are, in a sense, putting a line in the sand, and I think the European Central Bank has responded in kind. I think it's, you, you know, odds are, Richard, that they'll work something out. You can call it extend and pretend, but the Greeks are determined, apparently, to throw away the austerity package and, in fact, reverse course. They want to raise wages. They want to stop privatizations. The only thing they would agree on with the ECB and the other Troika members is they want to make Greeks pay their taxes. Yeah, yeah well, uh, that would uh, uh, make a change, uh, according to some people. It's interesting that there does seem to be more voices coming out that possibly we could see a Greek exit or Grexit. You know, this thing is so far-reaching and probably even momentous in its impact. We don't know the impact. That uncertainty is huge. You've got a lot of economists, not just in Europe, but here in the States, who say this would be worse 
than what happened with Lehman Brothers in 2008. If that's the case, you know, then that's pretty serious for the global economy. Barry, that you... probably is going to be avoided, but it's a serious matter. Yeah, stay on the line a minute, Barry, because I want to bring in Mark Koning, who's the CEO of Cathay uh, Conning Asset Management, um, uh, because uh, Mark's also got a few views on, on Greece and Europe. Uh, good morning. Hi, Barry. Uh, hi, Richard. Yeah, there's clearly a game of chicken being played at the moment. The... Um, the uh, the the Greek uh, new prime minister Alex Tsipras has um, sort of thrown down the gauntlet to the uh, other members of the eurozone, suggesting that he's prepared to uh, throw in the towel on the euro project and pull Greek back, Greece back if um, the creditors don't reform and try and help Greece to overcome the uh, structural problems that they've got without adhering to this very strong. Uh, austerity program and uh, I think so far uh, neither side has blinked in fact uh, Angela Merkel has uh, held her ground extremely um, strongly to suggesting that um, they're prepared the eurozone are prepared to see Greece go all the way to the edge and threaten as much as it likes and I think this is a dangerous game of chicken and although the commentary around what's going on suggests that uh, the rest of Europe, the Eurozone, is better prepared this time for a possible Greek exit. I, I don't quite see it Barry? As, as straightforward as that. Barry? Yeah. What do, what, what, what do you think on that? I mean, is the old golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, and Greece hasn't got the gold? Well, I agree with what was said. I think this is a dangerous game of chicken. So far, there's no sign of compromise. You've got a very savvy but you could say populist and even dangerous finance minister in Mr. Yanukovych. Uh, I've got his name wrong. But Easily that, done. that game has, can't go on much longer. Greece has got a big debt repayment coming up. It needs money to finance vital imports. Something we'll have to give in the next two or three weeks. Uh, Barry, just uh, finally, what are you looking at in terms of the U.S. economy this week. Is there anything coming up that we should be aware of? Well, I think we have to watch later today in Washington to see what kind of signals we get on Ukraine. I know that's not an economic matter per se, but here's Angela Merkel making a rush trip to Washington to confer with President Obama. I'll watch that closely. I think the earnings have been very good. They've been mixed, but on technology, it's been excellent. There'll be more of those this week. I think it's steady as she goes. Certainly a lot of talk among the politicians this week. Well, thanks very much, Barry. It's always a pleasure to hear from you, and we'll be speaking to you next week. Well, the state of Delhi is the size of Hong Kong, but with twice as many people. Uh, we've just seen uh, local elections in Delhi, which was seen as a test of the Modi popularity. And we just heard that six out of seven exit polls predicted a sweep of, by a little-known party called the Common Man, uh, which may dent uh, Modi's majority. Uh, the winner's not actually going to be known till tomorrow. But in the meantime, Mark Conin, um, India's been up 47% in the last 12 months, and I know you're still a bull. Will this make it harder for Modi to enact his reforms? Oh, we're still very positive on India. Um, we see um, 
Growth is um, is moving forward, perhaps not as um, forcefully as was previously expected, but earnings have been pretty good, uh, and the signs so far from the uh, from the government are positive in terms of embarking on this reform program. And if you put India alongside the other. Uh, markets within the emerging uh, world, emerging market basket, it's pretty much still the only one that stands out with um, with a very strong uh, undercurrent and a strong story. I mean, the other large emerging markets that figure in that basket are all still struggling on the back of uh, weaker growth globally and weaker commodity prices. So yeah, for us, India stays positive. Yeah, you've got uh, Brazil and Russia, obviously, all exporters. India, China is oil importers and presumably the fall in the oil price helps India a great deal. Well, particularly India, I think, because of the um, subsidies that they've had in place. These are the subsidies on fuel prices? Indeed, yeah, the the fuel price subsidies, which causes concerns around the budget and uh, requires India to shore up uh, their current account overall. So we've now seen with the the relaxation or the fall in the oil price, 50%, although it's risen uh, over the last week or so, still 50% down from where it was uh, at its at its more, most recent peak, uh, it's allowed the central bank uh, room, the Reserve Bank, to cut interest rates between uh, normal meetings by 25 basis points, and we think still think there's room to go this year. So there's a bit of monetary support uh, available, which should uh, support uh, growth a little bit further and support earnings. Okay, moving um, uh, to the uh, final uh, letter of the BRICS, the China. Um, we've had the R- an RRR cut in China. That's the Reserve requirement for the bank cut in China last week. You're looking at prospects for a rate cut? Uh, I think the market is. I think one of the reasons why the triple R cut wasn't um, re- didn't really have a significant impact. It did at the outset, but uh, it pretty much dissipated through the day and then it was subsequently. It pretty small, wasn't it? it I mean, was half small. a percent on twenty is indeed not that big. And it released what eleven billion into the uh, into the banking system. Had a fairly mooted uh, response, and that's largely because it was widely expected. And I think the market is expecting uh, an interest rate cut after Chinese New Year as well. So the authorities are still trying to engineer this so-called soft landing um, and we can we can talk about um, some of the some of the, the features of that as the economy tries to shift away from this dependency on exports what we're looking at globally um, is really price deflation uh, for exports which is a very worrying sign particularly here in North Asia not just China why, it's also why, why would price deflation be a worrying sign because cheaper goods so uh, you would have thought would lead to more demand overseas well as we saw in December uh, China dumped a lot of its products onto the global market at reduced price uh, and this is this is very damaging for margins if you're not making profits you can't pay your workers you can't increase wages uh, it doesn't help china uh, go through the through the motions of trying to uh, stimulate consumption domestically and investment domestically it's a but basically a, a very difficult transition to where china wants to be which is much more domestically focused so alex what's your um your, your thought is also fairly bearish. Are you um, uh, going along with Mark, Mark saying? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not very bearish in the long term. I think China will try to uh, do some monetary policy to try to save the situation. So uh, in the long term, I'm not too bearish. But I think we are quite bearish in the short term because we are approaching the uh, January low already in the Asian market. And I think a break below that level probably would trigger some more selling. And actually, people are pretty low up with shares uh, during the rally last two months. So uh, technically, we are we are stuck with a lot of uh, uh, crap uh, or people. People are stuck with their, 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 the stocks that they 
purchased at higher levels. So right now we are we are due for a correction. So uh, we are, and this correction actually may be uh, five to ten percent from this level because uh, if you look at the Asia and Asia discrepancy, we are. Asia are trading at 30% premium to XR, so that means the downside actually are quite a lot. Yeah, it could happen either way. But we've already seen what what off the Asia market, 10%, 12%. So you're looking at another 10% on top of that? Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, we probably would see uh, another 5 to 10% decline easily in China. Right now, the moods are, are bearish in China. So uh, we probably would see some weaknesses uh, in, in this uh, one or two weeks. But uh, in the longer term, I think China probably would try to save the uh, situation and then they they probably would try to do more IPOs uh, uh, in the longer run. So I think uh, the market would not be too bad, but we are, this correction could be quite significant. Okay, question to both of you. I'll ask uh, Alex first. We've been talking about the Chinese government looking to reflate the economy for a little while now, and they've really been tinkering around the edges. They haven't really done anything very much. Do you think we're actually going to see some bold moves coming in? Oh, I think uh, probably still monetary policy because because uh, this is not easy actually. The transition into a domestically uh, a consumers uh, 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 focused economy is is not easy. I think uh, they probably would try to do more by uh, cutting rates more aggressively, and then, and then I think they would try to reform the capital market and try to issue um, more equities to to swap debt and to to remove the tail risk in in the market. But I think uh, the process would be difficult, but. Probably we would see uh, they are doing this uh, full monetary policy more this time. It's tough, isn't it, Mark, uh, moving an economy, especially in China, virtually the whole economy is set up for the export market, to try and get it to focus internally. Well, that's exactly the point. The um, the transition that you would normally see when you're seeing a weak external sector, you would see uh, job migration over a reasonable period of time towards the service industry, and you'd see um, the service sector pick up the slack. And, of course, in China, um, everything's uh, pretty much... Um, uh, due to the central government. So it really needs pol- policy reform, and that policy reform is slow coming. But I think um, near term, I agree with that, absolutely with what Alex is saying, that the market will be a little bit soft. In fact, in our portfolios, we're sort of neutrally weighted, combined Hong Kong and mainland China. But I think the outlook is a little bit better for later in the year as we start to see measures come in to try and push a little bit of stimulus at the margin to try and encourage the market and get these IPOs out. We Good. would agree with that. Good. Well, that sounds more positive. Well, Mark Conin, uh, CEO of uh, Cathay Conning Asset Management. Thank you very much for coming in. Always a pleasure to see you. And uh, we'll be speaking to our next guest just after this. A police uniform represents a vision and a commitment to uphold the rule of law and to maintain law and order, to safeguard and protect life and property, and to ensure that Hong Kong remains one of the world's safest and most stable societies. This is our home. Let's work together to fight crime and safeguard our city. To report crime, call the police hotline 2527-7177. Well, to those of you waking up early and feeling a little bit sore overnight, yoga may be the answer. Yoga itself is not new to those listeners who steal out at 11 o'clock to catch a class before lunch. But what's new is that you could stream a live interactive online studio. Uh, founded in Finland in January 2014, their CEO, Mika Pekaka, is in the studio today. Uh, hello, Mika. Nice to see you. Hello. Nice to be here. You're hot in from Finland, aren't you? Yeah, I just arrived weekend. Yeah, thank you. Good. Tell us, what, what's the company all about? 
Uh, well, yeah, uh, we are the first live interactive online yoga studio in the world. So basically what we aim to do is to, to make something that um, is, is a very uh, good for the modern busy lifestyle to make it more accessible to more people. And how does it work? Uh, it's basically just is, is it an app or uh, is computer driven? How does uh, it yeah, at the moment uh, it, it works best in the in the um, desktop environment. Uh, we are in the process of developing our iOS app at the moment, and then Android will be following soon after. I see. But uh, can't you get the same sort of thing on a DVD with somebody showing you what to do in 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 front of a screen? Uh, obviously, yeah. And there's YouTube and and, and whatnot. Uh, but uh, but what you lack there is the is the instructor or the teacher being able to instruct you, tell you what to do or what what not to do. Uh, and how's the company developed uh, so far? Are you rolling it out to different markets? Uh, yeah, we started developing it in Finland, and which is a really good market to test things like this out. Uh, we, we have a studio and a company in the UK, in London, and another one here, and we are here to learn. We are, we are looking at uh, going to the US, obviously, uh, at some point as well. But yeah, growing rapidly at the moment. Okay, so you've chosen Hong Kong as one of your, well, one of your two bases. Uh, yeah. So, and, and why Hong Kong? Uh, Hong Kong, well, we actually had a close look at all the opportunities in Asia, and Hong Kong seemed like a natural choice. It's a very welcoming environment for, for foreign companies. Uh, there's a strong startup community here. There's a, a fantastic help available in the form of Invest Hong Kong, for example. Uh, it's, a, it's a vibrant, uh, uh, energetic uh, in, environment in many, in, in many ways, and, and a very forward-looking one. Okay, so you're, um, uh, you're basically launching in Hong Kong. What would monthly and annual subscriptions be? Uh, in terms of cost, yeah, uh, one hundred ninety Hong Kong dollars. Uh, that's for a month. For one month, yeah, for usage for all classes. So that's quite a lot cheaper than the gym. Uh, that's the thing. We we aim to be um, as accessible in in all ways possible uh, in terms of the technology requirements, in terms of pricing, and in terms of uh, the the classes that we offer. Good. Well, Mika, thanks very much for coming in all the way from Finland. Your company is is called Ugaia, I believe. And uh, that should be easy enough to look up on Google. Thank you very much for coming in and telling us about a new story. Thanks so much. Um, Alex, uh, we've got the week starting. What are you watching in particular? Oh, as I said, um, the Liu Long's uh, figures in China. Because uh, we had seen uh, the uh, way cut and also the RRR, I think that people would like to see the long demand uh, in China. And... Of course, uh, the situation in U.S., I think uh, U.S. would be okay, but we are more dependent on China these days. Right, great. Well, thanks very much for coming in. Alex Ho of Ample Asset Management. Uh, just before we go, the markets, Australia is down half a percent at 5,745, while the Nikkei is up 0.62 at 17,757. Uh, just to wrap, we've got the weather today, which will be mainly fine and dry, rather cool in the morning, with a maximum temperature around 18 degrees during the day. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore at first. Still rather cool tomorrow morning. The temperature at the observatory is currently a cool 14 degrees C and the relative humidity is 69%. And here's the news read by Samantha Butler. The Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott has survived a vote of no confidence in his leadership. One of his MPs had initiated the challenge over concerns about Mr Abbott's unpopularity. The BBC's John Donison reports from Canberra. Tony Abbott, a political bruiser, lives to fight another day. But he could be mortally wounded. In a secret ballot, Liberal Party MPs voted 61 to 39 against starting a leadership contest. 
It's a half-hearted endorsement for Mr Abbott, with more than a third of his party's parliamentarians wanting change. It means the most likely challenger to his leadership, the communications minister, Malcolm Turnbull, will have to bide his time. But Tony Abbott is not out of the woods. He's avoided becoming the shortest-serving prime minister in half a century, but polls show his approval ratings are dismal. The Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has said he'll raise the minimum wage and rehire thousands of public servants who were sacked as part of what he called the previous government's cruel austerity programme. Outlining his plans to Parliament, Mr Tsipras said Greece didn't want an extension of the European Union's bailout programme, but a bridging loan until the summer to win time to renegotiate debt. He vowed to keep all his promises to voters. I want to assure the Greek Parliament and the Greek people once more that our government's irreversible decision is to honour and implement in full our pre-election pledges. The first priority of this government is, starting from Wednesday morning, tackling the big wounds of the bailout, tackling the humanitarian crisis in our country, just as we promised to do before the elections. Mr Tsipras said the main battle for Greece would be